Thank you, Vanna White there. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you want that there? Welcome. Uh, I've really enjoyed the, the music this morning. And uh, I think we can get a, a place for Bike Week. Are you guys on the main street next, next year? You kind of look like a rock band. Justin, you grow one of those goatees where it's kind of split in the middle? With some... Anyway, well, this week there will be no uh, Linton Bible study. Uh, Pastor Garrett and his family, they're out of town for the week. But on the 23rd, we'll be starting Quest 52. It's at the Byram House, correct? All right, so uh, if you want to ask Debbie Clark about that. She didn't hear me, but it's okay. Debbie, can you wave? If you want to know about, uh, she's our new homecoming. No, just kidding. Uh, Quest 52, they'll be teaching it at the Byram House starting on 23rd. And, well, there is another announcement. Uh, Justin and I have been scheming, and we're like, we need to... We need to eat together, right? You guys like eating together? First of all, who likes eating? Yes. All right, well, we got first have that. Uh, does anybody like anybody here in this room besides yourself? All right, we're doing pretty good there, too. So, we're going to do something, just kind of spur of the moment. Next week, after church, we're going to eat together here. Bring a, a dish to pass. Finger foods, nothing big. If you forget, don't be one of those people that just sits at home because you're like, oh, I forgot to bring stuff. No, show up. If we're short on food, I'm going to run and grab some pizzas real quick. We just want to hang out together, right? right. And eat some food together. Very, very casual. We'll just set up in here. We'll have a good time. So, if you've got a uh, experimental dish that you've been wanting to try out, next week's the time. Just don't put your name on it. We'll see if, it, if it's gone at the end of the day, you know it was good. If not, well, you know better for next time. But so next week, bring a plate, to, a dish to pass, finger food, something like that. Nothing big, extravagant. And uh, if you don't want to do that, show up. We'll have food here. And if you want to run and grab something after, just is very casual. That's the main thing here, all right? We are going to be together. We're going to eat together and have a good time. That's great. All right. Good, 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 good. Yes, guys. Um... I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I told Gary and I said, uh, hey, look, we're going to throw a, uh, um, a potluck in a sense. And Gary was like, well, man, I'm not going to be there. He was bummed out. I told him, I said, don't worry. We'll throw, we can have another one, you know, when you come on back. So, uh, uh, you know, but, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, you know, uh, my name is Justin. Actually, I'm the youth director here at Port Orange Church of Nazarene. And, uh, that was Jason actually that just came up. Every week looks a little different sometimes. Uh, somebody was, you know, asking me today, so how's it going? I said, I don't know. I think pastor's out of town. So Jason and I are doing this. So I said, you know, when the mic like hits the speaker and like it makes that noise, like that loud noise. Hold on, let me show you guys real quick. No, no, no. <laughs> Corey's in the back like, dude, you can't I'm gonna mute this whole thing. No, but um, I said, uh, th- then a camera will be like tipping over and then all of a sudden like, we'll be like, all right, guys. But nothing that an opening prayer and a closing prayer can't like fix. Right. So if everything goes haywire. Then we'll just say, okay, and we'll close in prayer, Lord, thank you, and then that'll be it. No, but um, we get to uh, we get to come to a time of the service where we get to continue in our worship with tithes and offerings. And in just a few moments, you'll see a couple of different ways that you're able to give on the screen. And as well as if you're here uh, in person, uh, then we have some drop boxes in the back on your way out that you're able to uh, uh, to, to give your tithes or offerings. But uh, let's just pray for the Lord's blessing over this time. Father, um, I'm reminded of the countless times 
that you have always pulled through uh, for me. And Lord, not only for me, but for generations of your people. Uh, since day one, Lord, you've always provided for us. And so, Father, for this time that we get to just give back to you and your ministries and your kingdom, Lord, I pray that you bless it. Father, I pray that we do it with a cheerful heart. Uh, and Lord, that that we would just be a people that are built with generosity, Lord, not in just our pocketbooks, but Lord, uh, that we would be generous in our time, that we would be generous in our patience with others, Lord, that we would be a generous people uh, in our kindness, Lord, in, in a world full of so much, you know, just ugh, for other people. Lord, may we be a people that could be a, a, a ray of hope and a ray of sunshine. Wow, there's something different about that person. I don't know what it is. Uh, they're just so kind and so uh, patient and so you know, patient and just, you know, there's so there's something different about them. And Lord, may it come from you and from your kingdom it's pouring out into our lives, Lord. And may we be a people that are generous in all the good that you give to us and all the good that you've already poured upon us. And may we pour it back into this world and bless this time that we have here, Lord, that we could just give a little bit more back to you in Jesus name. Amen. Welcome as we head down this journey of the 40 days until the cross. Uh, anybody else feel the air just kick on? Oh, thanks. Well, I got cold up here all of a sudden. Well, this, as we uh, are going through the Beatitudes right now, we're in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5. And uh, as we got to this passage this week, I thought, man, I don't want to do this one. This one's tough. Um, I was at a conference for about half a week in Orlando. Maybe the biggest, it's called uh, Exponential. It's the biggest evangelism and church planning conference, I think, in the U.S., maybe the world. And I thought, all right, God, give me some inspiration for a sermon for this week, something that's really, uh, is this the tough subject to crack? And he absolutely did give me a sermon. It just had nothing to do with this week's scripture. So that'll come sometime in the future. Because I think what he wanted me to say this week 
He's been saying for a long time to me. And so let's read together. Uh, We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. You can follow along if you want. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to read it out loud here. So Matthew 5, chapter, uh, Matthew 5, verses 9 through 12. And uh, you'll, you'll recognize some of this immediately. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, this is the word of the Lord. So here in the Beatitudes, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that happens. If you uh, aren't familiar with it, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Read a little before, a little after, and you'll see some of the best teaching and preaching that Jesus did. Um, but this is, I think, the hardest part for me to deal with in the Beatitudes. Because he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Being a peacemaker is not a passive thing. Many of the Beatitudes are passive. Being a peacemaker, get the word maker there, it's an active process, an active way of living. We're in a world of violence. It's pretty obvious, right? You look around. uh, How many of you have a habit of looking daily at the paper or the morning news? You know, have that bad habit besides myself. You're going to see violence, right? Everywhere from Volusia County to Ukraine. And everywhere in between, there's violence going on. We, as humans, are fairly violent. And we seem to like violence. How many of you, uh, some of your evening entertainment on television are, is something about violence? Our favorite TV shows, movies, sports, are violence. We, we seem to relish in the stuff. We like it. I, I, I gotta admit, I get caught up in that stuff as well. What makes sense then in this passage of scripture that the call to be a peacemaker is next to a blessing for those who are persecuted? Why is that? Because in a world that loves violence so much, being a peacemaker is probably going to lead to some persecution in your life. I mean, Justin, did you get made fun of in school when you were younger? Because you're a peacemaker? Or just because? <laughs> you know, you're going to get insulted for all kinds of reasons in life. But sometimes following Jesus and doing the things that He wants, living the way that He calls you to, will lead you to being made fun of. Sorry, I know you can take it, man. So, the Greek, uh, There's a Greek word that, that talks about peace. And it's Irene. If you were to read it, it looks like it says Irene. It's, never mind, there's a, there's a funny joke. He's telling us about this woman named Irene. But uh, You guys know that one? I'm not going to tell it in church. Not ask me afterward. It's not bad, don't worry. I did go to Biker Church recently. Any of you have been to Biker Church? Pastor started off 
the sermon with an extremely off-color joke. And I was like, oh my word, I'm glad my kids weren't here. No, I, this Irene joke isn't like that. But I'll tell it later. Anyway, Irene is peace. And it's used in the, in the place of the word shalom. Now, you are probably familiar with the word shalom, right? You know, the, the Jews would say shalom. It has to do with peace. But it's more than just peace as in everything is calm. It's not about being passive. Peace, shalom, irene isn't just about lack of conflict. It's about wholeness. It's about being mended together. You realize that when something is whole, it doesn't mean that it's just without conflict. Because there can be brokenness, broken pieces of a dish. They're not flying, they're not noisy, they're not doing anything anymore. They're just laying there broken. That's not shalom. We're talking about mended together. There is something deeper to this than just not having conflict. So peacemaker can also, you might be able to say it's peace worker. Someone who works for peace. This isn't someone who just keeps the peace. Now, when I was living in Haiti, there were lots of uh, peacekeepers. They weren't peace workers. They were peacekeepers. What does a peacekeeper usually carry? <laughs> Some sort of weapon. Not a peacemaker. Yeah, you'll be without conflict when the rifle's pointed at you. But that's not a peace worker. Here's the thing about the peacemaker. The peacemaker may not actually live in peace. Does that make sense at all? If you were actively working to create peace, meaning you were actively working to mend, to make whole, to fix broken relationship, you may not actually be living in peace. I know it may seem paradoxical, like those don't seem to go together. But Jesus was a peacemaker. Would would everybody agree with me on that? A peacemaker. Did Jesus live in peace? Absolutely not. There was conflict everywhere he went, right? Sometimes the forces around us uh, are a bit opposed to the making of peace. And more conflict will arise around you as you try to make right what is wrong. Life can be pretty difficult and disturbing for the peacemaker. But they are pursuing peace. It's active. Because peace means wholeness and mending together. You might walk into conflict as you look to build peace. So when you become a peacemaker, when you live as a peacemaker, ridicule is probably going to follow you. I'll probably say some things this morning that will have some of you maybe out loud afterward. You ever notice how uh, preachers often get approached afterward? One of the best things about being a preacher or a pastor is when someone comes up to you after a sermon and says, well, you know what you should have said or what, it really, what you did wrong there. 
this is one of those days where it's probably going to happen. And if not, I'll almost be a little disappointed. Because this is going to be difficult. This is difficult for me to even say some of these things today. But I have a... You have a dream job? I have a couple of dream jobs. And they all seem to revolve around being a peacemaker. But if I had one real dream job and I could separate Jesus from my life... Let's just say this. I've lived around the world. I love traveling. I love learning languages. What I really love is becoming part of a culture that's not my home culture, but help making people think that I'm one of them. You know what those guys often do? Man, those guys are often spies. Man, if I could do anything and separate Jesus from my life, I'd love to go in the name of peace I'd love to go snap some necks. <laughs> I'd love to be on a rooftop sniping someone from a mile away. I'm saying, you gotta, you gotta realize, this is me saying Jesus is out of my life. You know what I'm talking about, Matt? Dude, snapping necks. You're not supposed to like this kind of stuff, but like, James Bond movies? Jason Bourne movies? Oh man, that's like, dream come true stuff. But this is, I realized, this is the guilt. This is wrong stuff. In the eyes of Jesus, that is the absolute wrong path for me to go down. And so there was a point when Jesus said, you got to go one way or you got to go the other. I was like, oh man. Alright, no snapping next. But there's something about doing that kind of work that almost brings more satisfaction than being a peace worker in the way that Jesus meant it. You know why? Because you see some real action. You see some real differences being made, right? I mean, you take out a bad guy, there is evidence that you made a difference. You know what I'm saying, Butch? Don't nod too hard. But I can't convince myself that Jesus would have me go down that path. Guns are fun, right, Matt? I've often been tempted with me as I've worked, tempted to take some with me as I've worked in different parts of the world, especially in some of the cities I've worked in. I worked right in the middle of Flint, Michigan for several years. Very tempting to carry something with me. Most recently worked in St. Louis, very much at the top of murder and violence in the U.S. And as I said, God, what should I do? Should I take something with me to make sure I stay safe? Jesus, if you were here with me, would it be okay if I carried something? I, I struggle. Now, there were times I didn't listen to Jesus and I carried something with me anyway. As I, It was a real fear for my life type place. But let me ask you a question. How many of you are carrying here in church today? Just kidding, don't answer because you'll go to jail if you do. You have to get permission in church. It was a trick question.
The issue here isn't the weapon, is it? Whether you have one or not. The issue is, when we carry for self-protection, are we being the peacemakers that Jesus called us to be? It's not about that piece of metal with you. It's about your heart. What do we value? Are we peacemakers? Or are we carrying a peacemaker in the Wild West sense? It is hard to be both. To do both. Believe me, the nature of my heart is the one to be like a quick draw at the OK Corral. But I can't seem to reconcile, and believe me, I've wrestled with this for years and in many different situations. I can't seem to reconcile the nature of self-preservation with that unnatural call that Jesus has called me to. For me, it is very, very unnatural to walk the path of Jesus. But I really feel like it's the path that He has called me to follow. So, this is the kind of stuff that leads to ridicule and persecution. You say that places like this, but especially places outside of here, There's a lot of ridicule and persecution that comes from that. There's a lot of Christians who would call that pure idiocy. And you know, I'd have to honestly agree with them for the most part. It's really stupid to possibly lose your life to someone that you're like, that person doesn't even deserve to be alive anyway. And then they want to take my life? At least that's what my self-preserving side says. But Jesus says a little later in Matthew, we just go a few chapters more in, in Matthew ten twenty-eight, And I want you to listen to this closely. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. We have just taken a step from life on earth to life on earth and eternity, including this life. Jesus never seems to separate the the very numbered days. I I don't know if you realize this, but every one of us has numbered days. I don't know if you figured that one out yet. Uh, Every one of us has numbered days living and breathing on this earth. But here's the other side of it. Every one of us has unnumbered days beyond this body. Jesus says, do not fear what can ruin this right here, what can take this body, turn it back in the dust, but can't take the soul, can't take what belongs to Him eternally, what will rest with Him eternally. But fear the one who not only can wipe this thing out, but also will condemn you to an eternity 
in the most unfathomable hell ever. We've kind of gotten away from talking like that, haven't we? We don't like to talk about hell anymore. But I can't seem to avoid it when I go to Scripture. But I also can't ever seem to avoid Jesus saying, don't worry about people hurting you. You're going to get hurt and you're going to die no matter what. I want you to know you don't have to be afraid of what can kill your body when you belong to Jesus. Jesus actually says this. Don't be afraid of that. And not only does He say it, He lives it. You ever wonder what God would live like if He lived here on earth? Just look at Jesus. That was God in the flesh with us. He said it. He lived it. Is the kingdom of heaven going to come through our righteous living? When our view of righteous living involves physically defeating the the bad guy? When I see the bad guy, and I think the bad guy should be taken out, guess what? There's been sin in my life as well. In fact, as I read Scripture, I see that all have sinned. All are the bad guy. All have fallen, fallen short of the glory of God. So who's not going to be judged for their sins? Who among us is blameless? None of us. I've lived and visited, I've lived and visited a lot of areas of the world where there was fighting happening or there had just been a major war. And honestly, one side was always named victorious, or usually. We, we see some fighting happening in the world now. Eventually, one side's going to be defeated, according to our terms, and one side will be victorious. But it doesn't matter which side it is, there are major losses, right? Major losses on both sides. Some of those losses are very personal, very familial. Some of those losses are, are cultural. I've known guys who have lost fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. I know some that have taken the lives of grandmothers. Guys I know have taken the lives of children. They might have been victorious on our terms in the end. There might have later been a perceived time of peace. But you know what there wasn't? There wasn't righteousness. God calls us to righteous living, to righteous being. As Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you are persecuted because you are righteous, verbally, 
emotionally, physically, when your body is snuffed out from this earth because of your righteousness, guess what? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution is hard. Being weak is hard. It will often lead to violence against you. It sometimes leads to death. But know this, when you are persecuted from righteousness, the kingdom of heaven is yours. I repeat it because I want you to understand, God is calling us to a way of living that does not make sense in earthly terms. That kingdom of heaven, it might feel like it's far off. It may not feel immediately as good as taking out the persecutor, right? But let's not live for the now and the temporary. Do you ever see God calling us to live for the now, for the temporary? No, He calls us to run the long race with endurance. Because what we have with Him is eternal. It's enduring. As we live in righteousness, as we live in the kind of righteousness that Jesus calls us to, you know the world will actually start to get a glimpse of Him. As I was in a massive, massive church any of you been to Orlando, First Baptist in Orlando before? I think it seats 4,300 people. It was ridiculous. And it was mostly full. And everybody's talking about how do we get people to follow Jesus? How do we get people to follow Jesus? How do we get people to believe? I'm like, we've got to put our, our money where our mouths are. I was in a little breakout workout uh, workshop and a guy who works in the urban ministry in Omaha, he says, you know what street cred is? He said, street cred is about what you do and not about what you say. And here's why the church universal is dying. We do a lot of talking and not much walking. What if we were to actually love our enemies? Actually love our enemies? What if instead of... There's going to be some persecution material for me right here. What if instead of, instead of 10,000 troops, 100,000 troops sent somewhere to take out the bad guys? 10, 100,000 lovers of Jesus want to love their enemy armed with one of the greatest weapons of all time, the breastplate of righteousness. You ever heard about that one? It's pretty scriptural. Can you imagine a hundred thousand followers of Jesus saying, we're going to go love our enemies? Here's something about war. There's going to be casualties, right? You send guys there with arms... You're going to lose some. And you're going to lose some of the other side as well. You send people armed with love, guess what? You're going to lose some. But Jesus says, don't fear 
but can take out the body, but can't take out your soul. I've dreamt that many times as I've been places. And I thought, Lord, what if there were a hundred thousand of us here with open arms to love our enemies, to say, God, we want you here with us. What kind of dent in the world do you think that would actually make? I can't think of an actual time where that has happened. I can find a lot of times where Christians took up arms to go take out the bad guys. But I can't think of many times where large groups of Christians said, we will willingly be persecuted as we love our enemies. You know what will happen if you live like that? Or even talk like that? You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be persecuted. And so at this conference I was at last week, I heard a song. I really didn't like it at first. First line in the chorus, or the last line in the chorus was something, I was like, I don't know if I agree with that theologically. You know, I don't know if that's, if that's scripturally true. I don't know if Jesus really does this kind of stuff. And that line was, you redeem, you return all that's stolen from your children. I was like, come on. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I never got back all the stuff that was stolen from me, I'll tell you that. It's never coming back either. That bike, never come back. That 700 bucks someone took out of my apartment once, I'm never getting that back. And I was looking for fault in this song, you know. I'm not always cool with the new hip songs that come out every week by these Christian megastars. You know, there's like Christian worship camps, like a hundred will go at a time, and they just sit around writing songs all week. Like, man, that's weird. But as I looked into the song again, As I went to the whole first verse and then chorus, he says, I look around, and this, this made a lot of sense to our world right now. I look around and all I see are burning buildings, barren trees. Hopelessness is starting to wreak havoc. Son of man, I know you see the deepest depth unknown to me. You have planted seeds among the ashes. And then the, the chorus came. You rebuild, you restore. All that's broken from the ruins. You redeem. You return all that's stolen from your children. That's what you do. God wants to restore, redeem, return everything for eternity. It may not happen on this earth. You may not get back all the things that that were taken from you, all the pain that was inflicted on you may not be made right here today on this earth. But God's promise is that He reigns eternal and He makes everything right. And if I can't believe that God will make everything right for His children, then let's just shut this place down and sell it, right? Because we got no business with false hope. False hope. I have no time for something that's not going to work. I don't. I'd rather be out there snapping necks than waiting on Jesus to do the job. But Jesus has made it really clear 
to us that He gets the job done. It may not be on my timing or your timing or anyone else's timing, but He gets it done. And in the end, He is victorious in ways that we don't realize now, but it'll happen. So let's not be short-sighted, okay? Let's not say, this better happen now or I'm out. He does return what was stolen. And there's a good chance we might have to wait until His kingdom comes, right? And those that aren't His children, well, this is the hard part for me. If He redeems, if He restores those who are His children, those who are living in righteousness, what happens to those that aren't His children? Who haven't said, Jesus, I claim you. I guess, I assume that they aren't redeemed. They aren't restored. If I take out my enemy, there's no hope for restoration in their life, is there? If I crush the bad guy, Are they ever going to be made whole? My righteous living, my loving my neighbor, my loving my enemy, my willingness to be persecuted, that might be part of God's plan for restoring those who don't yet call Him Father. As a dad, I can't imagine any of my children going astray and you better never go astray from me. I can never imagine any of my children saying, I don't want to be your kid anymore. But look at the world around us. How much of our world says, I don't acknowledge you as Father. When we know that as they claim Him, we are restored as a people. The world is made how it was intended to be. The kingdom of heaven is ushered in through that. Restoration. Redemption. All of His children finally realizing that living as peacemakers and not peacetakers is what we were created for. In that, I want to have a little time with Jesus with you right now. I, I forgot the element. Anybody else need some Jesus snacks back here? I'll take one, sir. Thank you. If there's not enough, it's probably because my other boy, Wyatt, took a handful. He loves these things. I think that God's greatest want is that you would sit down with Him and say, hey, I want to break bread with you. And just know, there's no requirements, at least not with me, on, uh, on sharing communion. If you're here and you want to know Jesus, you love Jesus, anything with Jesus, 
break bread with us. So Jesus sat down with friends and with an enemy. And he said, I want to restore you in a way that you never knew was possible. So he took the bread and he broke it with him. And he said, when you eat this, now and for forever, just like we're going to next Sunday after church, don't forget, we will do that in remembrance of him. Let's eat together. How come redemption is possible? Why can we be persecuted and not fear? Because his blood was shed and he said, I have victory over everything. I have victory over sin in your life. And in fact, I have victory over death, which is eternal life. He said, when you drink, remember me and my blood that was shed for you. Let's drink together. Father, we praise you. We praise you because of your love for us. And you continually love us as we live for ourselves. As we say, we'll be righteous later, sometime else in life. But you're the God that redeems, that restores, that returns everything. You forgive your enemies and gather them as children. You've forgiven all of us that have said, God, cleanse us from our sin. Lord, I pray that we will have the boldness to go out and live life as true redeemers in your name. That we will embrace our enemies. That we will even lay down our lives for the sake of the kingdom when that time, when that time comes. Lord, bring us closer together so that we have each other to lean on We have each other to learn from. And that we have people that we know love us unconditionally. Make us more like you, Father. We praise you. We praise you, God. And we thank you for all that you are. In your name, amen. Amen. Danny, I'm going to call you up as probably not a good idea for me to lead us all in singing.